Hello and welcome to day 83 of our Bible reading course. Our final passage from the book of Acts sees the gospel coming to Europe, including a couple of cities to which Paul would later write letters. Today's reading is Acts chapter 15 verse 36 to the end of chapter 16 and then chapter 17 verse 16 to chapter 18 verse 17. I hope that's not too confusing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, seated at the Father's side in glory, I worship and adore you for your steadfast love and commitment to me. Bless this time as I open your word now, in your precious name. Amen. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. 
She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned round and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We are all here! The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. While Paul was waiting for Silas and Timothy in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? 
you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent-maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. 
Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanour or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Between yesterday's and today's readings, the church in Jerusalem made a landmark decision. The year was AD 49, about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The decision was that those Gentiles who were responding to the gospel message were to be accepted as full members of the people of God without the need to come via the route of Judaism, i.e. being circumcised and observing the many provisions of the law of Moses, such as the Sabbath and food laws. Salvation and inclusion came simply on the basis of faith in Jesus and the grace of God. Paul and Barnabas then decide to revisit the people and places of their first missionary journey. But following an argument between them, they go their separate ways. Paul takes along another companion, Silas, and soon afterwards adds Timothy to the team, as a young man with potential for future leadership. As their travels progress, we have that rather enigmatic description of the Holy Spirit preventing them from entering certain regions in Asia Minor. We wonder how that happened. They end up on the northwest coast, facing Europe, which may have given them some inkling of what was coming next. It's made clear in a vision Paul has of a man of Macedonia calling to them for help. At this point we have the first of what's called the we passages in Acts, where the book's author, probably Luke, joins the missionary band. It's likely that he was a resident of Philippi, as this is where most of the we language occurs. Following the conversion of Lydia, Paul and his colleagues spend some time in Philippi, including the dramatic incident in the local prison, ending in that wonderful scene where the jailer washes Paul and Silas clean of their wounds, and then they wash him and his household clean of their sins in baptism. After preaching at Thessalonica and Berea with the usual mixed reaction, Paul then heads to Athens, where he famously addresses the city council, the Areopagus. As we saw yesterday in Lystra, he carefully tailors his approach to his hearers, starting by identifying something they are searching for, to an unknown God, and then showing how God has answered this in Jesus. He's also familiar with their outlook on life, quoting a couple of philosophers they would have been familiar with, as part of his presentation of the good news. All this bears fruit. From there he moves on to Corinth, which would become an important base for ministry, and the beginnings of a church that would cause him much joy, but also much heartache in the years to come, as we shall see. There's so much to take away and ponder from today's passage. Is there anything in particular that stands out to me? Perhaps the fact that Christians can sometimes disagree, although in this case it seems that there was reconciliation at some point as Paul later refers to Mark as a fellow worker 
who has been helpful to him? Or the way God can sometimes guide us by closing doors, even ones that look promising, in favour of his better option and will. Or the response of Paul and Silas to being flogged and thrown into prison, singing God's praises instead of feeling sorry for themselves. Or the jailer's question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's response of simply, but profoundly, believe in the Lord Jesus. Or finally the way God encouraged Paul in Corinth to keep on going in his witness. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. Perhaps I can just sit with one of these thoughts for a few minutes. Lord God, my Heavenly Father, thank you for the many ways your word can speak to me at various times and in different situations. Give me ears to hear and an open heart to receive your direction, encouragement or just the joy of the Lord to be my strength. And with so many mentions in the reading of whole households coming to faith, Lydia's, the jailers, Crispus, the synagogue rulers, I praise you for Christian households of whatever shape and size that I know, and the blessing they are to me and many others. During this time of lockdown, I pray that you would draw them even closer together. In Jesus' name. Amen.